0: You've now locked into
1: Living Blessed, the podcast, where we're talking the highs, the lows, the darkest moments that we've all hidden from the world, and everything in between. This is the moment of truth. This is why we're Living Blessed. And now, your host, Jovan J. Palmer.
0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Living Blessed, the podcast. I'm your host, Jovan J. Palmer, and as always, we have amazing guests on the podcast sharing transparent and vulnerable moments. I got my guy... Well, I've known for some years now who I'm inspired by whom I thank because he gives back to children and that's kids always have a special place in my heart, man, because I've always worked with kids for a long time, man. So to V of my brother, introduce yourself. I got to stop telling people's names so y'all can introduce yourselves.
1: Hmm. I feel that. Yeah. So let's y'all, yeah. Yeah. So introduce yourself.
0: Um- Tell people who you are.
1: Okay. My name is Dre Tavius. I'm an inspirational speaker. specializing in speaking to students about social-emotional learning and anti-bullying. I also have a podcast that's centered around education to provide a safe place for educators.
0: That's dope. I didn't know your podcast was centered around education.
1: Yeah, it's, it's centered around educators. Really? So. Oh, yeah. That's so, dope. Yeah, it's centered around educators.
0: <laughs> okay. So now we're... Okay, okay, okay. Why education?
1: Because you know I feel like education and community they go hand in hand mm. with together. So because I have a passion to educate young people, and because I want to see them become successful, a lot of the kids they're they're in the school system, you know. So I just figured that okay, what can I provide for teachers that's going to get them pumped up? ready to teach the students through this pandemic. I said, well, let me just start a podcast that's going to provide a safe place for educators to kind of vent because there's a lot mm-hmm. of things going on with education right now. So I said, let's, let's get the podcast going. That's going to give them an opportunity to not only provide strategies, but to just kind of let out that, let out whatever they're dealing with, you know, so.
0: That's, that's dope, man. Um, because when you're a black man, speaking to educators to you've worked in education. So it's not like, you know, you don't know about it because there's some people who speak have these like these podcasts out here who just speak from quote unquote experience of what they've kind of just seen. Mm. But you've not only just seen it, but you've actually put the work in by being in the classrooms, by seeing what teachers experience, by seeing what students experience. Right. And I applaud you for that because nowadays we're finding that a lot of people they're just going off a hearsay and putting it back out to the world Mm. which is not good Mm. you do a lot of harm and damage that way but you're actually immersing yourself in the culture of education in the culture of teaching in a culture of children and trying to make it not trying but you're making an actual impact and difference Mm. so for you to have that podcast you know that focuses on education as a black man it's tremendously needed it's needed all the way across the board man so my encouragement to you right now is just keep going Mm. really keep going man
1: yeah i appreciate that thank you no doubt man.
0: because you you think about it there's not a lot of black men education it's not my first african-american male teacher i did not get until Sophomore-ish. Kind of like a sophomore, junior, when I transferred into my college. I was like right in between. So I say my sophomore year at college, was my first time having a black male teacher.
1: Sophomore year in college?
0: Wow. In my job, I went to a two-year college beforehand. Wow. And I've had, like, you know, my first African-American um, woman was in the third or fourth grade. Her name was Miss Williams. Okay. And middle school, I had some African-American lady teachers. High school, same thing, and then say, college, my first. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that the trajectory can change, but I know it's hard for men to get into teaching because of the pay.
1: Pay, yeah, that's one of them. And
0: you know, we like to be we like to be breadwinners nowadays. Right. Um. But yeah. Um. Let's talk about your passion for education.
1: Mm. Okay, let's do it. What do you?
0: What are you most passionate about when it comes to education?
1: Man, I'm passionate about the the most thing that excites <laughs> me about education is when i am able to go into a classroom and educate students and i'm really big on educating students about character development mm-hmm. social emotional learning you know that's not like academics i i'm an advocate for academics but i can't say that academics just really excite me mm-hmm. you know but i think what's what i'm most passionate about is being able to go in and just educate the students, you know, and 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 tell like components of my story, like when they're going through tough times, or I see a student that's that's misbehaving, and they're they're trying to be a class clown, or they're looking to seek attention, and that's my opportunity to not only work with them, but to share my life with them and pour into them and say, hey, look, I can relate to how you feel, but you can get through this, you know, academically and emotionally. So that's what really excites me more than anything.
0: Right, right.
1: So. <clears throat> excuse me being a black male
0: in education what inspired you to say because there's tons of fields that you've could have gotten to right you could have gone into business you could have gone into entrepreneurship which you kind of have a taste for already of course you could have gone into engineering lawyer doctor but you as a black man decided you know what i'm going to do education mm. why
1: that's interesting um i have a Personal story that's that really is that's I have a personal story as to why I'm striving to, you know, like really mm. get into the school system. And it's because a lot of trauma that I dealt with was in school. Mm. Like a lot of the bullying, you know, and being so left behind. Like it took me eight times to pass my graduation test before I can even graduate high school. And so it was like those students who who don't have any hope, who are not optimistic about education. I'm like, man, I want to get in and be involved so that those students don't feel left behind or those students Mm -hmm. that that's reading below grade level or that 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 finds it challenging to do math. I want to be that. I want to be that light for them. You know what I mean? And to see them get expired. I'm like, oh, man, that's that's a job well done. I feel like in education i can I can get into that I can do that 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 can excite me every day every day mm-hmm. education can it can excite me even with the pay not being as rewarding that 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 excites me that makes my day so so what you're
0: saying is that regardless of what the field pays right, you will remain constant in this field.
1: I will say this. I will remain I can remain constant, but there's ways to to make more money in within that field like mm-hmm. for example, if you decide to become a teacher, I mean you might start off at depending on the district thirty forty thousand dollars a year, but if you become a school psychologist that's still in the education system you're looking at about eighty to six eighty eighty thousand to six figures a year or if you become a principal or even a superintendent, superintendent pays. Depending on the district, you can get paid almost $600,000. What? Yeah. (laughs) So, a lot of people don't know that. As a
0: superintendent, you can make $600,000. I I do a lot
1: of research. You do. (laughs) (laughs) I do a lot of research on the salary. Because a lot of people think that people in education don't Uh get paid. It's the teachers that don't get paid. (laughs) But people in education get paid, for sure. Really? Yeah, man. I looked up one time I looked up the president of uh Georgia state he's making 930,000. Oh, yeah, I know $1. on the co- collegiate level you yeah. get paid. Yeah. Or well,
0: some spaces on the collegiate level you get paid. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah.
1: And even like superintendents they get paid. The one in Clayton County, I think his is projected like 300,000. Wow. You know, so it's it's really about, you know, it's really about knowing what positions that will pay you well and you can turn those that you can turn that into streams of income from that like if you a principal you can start your own coaching program to coach other principals become a speaker write your own books the whole nine so you know i just don't look at it as oh like oh i, I like oh this is how much i'm going to get paid like i don't limit myself to that because i know there is more opportunities to get paid within education you see what i'm saying so <laughs> <laughs> Wow,
0: because you had posted on um, Instagram on your stories. What was that position you posted?
1: Um, I think it was like a Texas school psychologist. Yeah, and I'm like,
0: the salary was a part time job, right? Making six figures in Texas, right? And it wasn't like no hundred k. It, it was, was like, like hundred and like what forty three? Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> forty k for part time work as Right. a school psychologist. Yeah. That's wild to me.
1: Yeah. It is, man. It is, man. It's money to be made in education, man. I just feel like teachers, they don't get paid enough. Right. But I feel like people have to stop looking at just the teaching position because there's so much more that you can do in education and get paid a decent amount of money. Now, of course, I mean... You will. I mean, I'm pretty sure people would like to see more than six figures, but that's the average goal that most people aim for. As mm-hmm. I hear is six figures and you can make that lead in the school being a principal. Right. Right. So.
0: <laughs> so before we dive any deeper into education and this salary piece, of course, what was your what was your life like in education as far as in school and stuff like that from K to 12? Let's walk through that journey.
1: Like how was my own personal experience? Yeah, your
0: personal experience, because you know, some people they don't have like. I didn't have the best elementary experience. Mm. I didn't have like the best middle experience. In high school, I really didn't have a great experience in education until maybe like my tenth, ninth, maybe to like high school. Because mm. like elementary school, I was a little bullied a little bit and was trying to figure it out. Middle school, I was still being bullied and picked at and talked about, mm. and I was like doing like all types of like odd things to make friends like right a friend would have a party and i would you know say hey man here's some snacks or something man if i get an invite to the party mm. just to get just to fit in i never really fit in in certain spaces Not re- as a, you know as an older male now i'm like okay now i see why i didn't fit in right but at that time as a child you just want to fit in because at home i feel like i didn't fit in at home school i feel like i don't fit in at school and like dang like where can i find my space mm-hmm. so what for you in education as you know growing up where did you find your
1: space and prior to finding your space what was it like in terms of finding my space yeah i guess what you mean by that is like what got me going in terms what got
0: you going but what was it like for you like i said for me it was bullying it was i was a smart kid right always made great grades but on the social side of things it wasn't the best
1: Mm, the best
0: Socially, thing. what was it like for you? Educationally, what was it like for you?
1: Um, Man, you know, I mentioned about, like, most of the time, you know, special education. I, I remember when I was in first grade, and I remember I asked a teacher a question in class. And all the students started laughing at me. They started calling me names, picking on me, harassing me at that very moment. And then I stopped asking questions in class. I just said, I'm not going to ask questions no more because I am what they say I am. I am dumb. I am stupid. And I don't even deserve to get an education. At this point, I'm just here just to say I'm present, but I'm not here mentally. You know what I mean? And so when the teacher realized that there was a learning gap, then that's when they got the special education department involved and they started running tests on me. And they they realized that, I was in fifth grade, but I, was, I didn't know how to do simple division mm-hmm. or simple math. And so I held on to that experience for so long and then realizing in middle school that it's okay for me to not be reading on reading level and, and doing exceptionally well academically because that's not even glorified in my community where I come from. But it wasn't until I got to high school and I realized I had to pass a standard test to graduate and I wanted to make my mom happy, so I was willing to do what it took. So it took me eight times to pass that pass my test, and I realized like, dang, I can you know this this is my lane. This is what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. But it I, it took so many times because I wasn't taking education serious. But I I wasn't taking education serious because I was so afraid to ask questions. It's not that I was lazy. It was more so of the fear of if I ask questions what would i look like right in front of the other kids i'm like nah you're not gonna call me dumb and stupid again i'm just gonna sit here and pretend like i know what's going on but when it but when it came to that test i was like i didn't care at that point because i wanted to graduate high school so
0: we have a lot in common man really <laughs> i too was i was in special education in middle school okay for for mathematics
1: math yeah oh, i wow.
0: struggled and i had to think it's, they took me to some room We took some tests and they realized that that there was a special, there's a need for me in the area of mathematics. So I got extra time on my test. Um, I got to use a calculator on my test.
1: Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, I can relate. And,
0: um, but it made, the thing about my experience was that people gravitated me for that reason. Because I had the extra time, I had the calculator and the test. So it was like, oh, let's get cool with this guy because he oh, can wow. get us the yeah. Seriously, <laughs> he can get us the answer because he has a calculator. Mm. So it was like, okay, but I can p- punch it in, figure it out. When they have to do the equations on paper and all so stuff like that. So again, I was like, oh well, I I'm finally making friends, so mm-hmm. I'm cool with this. Mm. But the beauty in that whole experience was that I was able to one go to Disney World because at my school they were like they took this small group of kids to Disney World Mm. and that was the first time I flew on a plane in the seventh grade. Nice. That was the first time. So it's like, you know, there's beauty in all of these experiences that we go through. Right. And when did you find the beauty outside of high school? Like when did you find the beauty of your personal experience and what you've gone through?
1: Um it wasn't until after my mother passed. When I got the news that she passed, of course, I went through a phase of depression, suicidal thoughts, and really just not wanting to be here. But I found the beauty of what I was going through. It's funny, after she passed, because Mm -hmm. I realized that I had to grow up and really become a man. Because, to be honest, my mom, she babied me. You know, she really sheltered me, and she really babied me. And it wasn't until then I said, wow. This is why I went through what I went through so that I can inspire others. Because with that pain, I just started volunteering at Boys and Girls Club, nonprofit organization. Anybody that was willing to let me come in and speak to their kids, I was like, oh, let's go. Mm. And I would just speak from the heart because at that time, I was really dealing with, dealing with a lot of depression. But at the same time, it was strange because I was like, wow, there's beauty beauty in the struggle because I, I got – I was able to get a lot, a lot of life lessons from it, and it just made me stronger as an individual. Mm-hmm. So, so dealing with your mom's
0: passing, how did that affect you? Well, before your mom's passing, you know, send my condolences to you. Oh,
1: most definitely, appreciate it, man.
0: But what was life like with mom when she was here in the, in the um, physical presence?
1: Yeah, my mom was. I feel like still is. She's my she's my best friend. You know. My mom was my mom was very quiet, but anytime I was having a bad day, um, when I was going through bullying or anytime that, mm-hmm. you know, I would just tell her about how my day was at mm-hmm. football practice, one of the best things that she would do was just listen. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the fact that she was able to listen made our bun a lot stronger. So we were... To me, in my, you know, we were really close, and I always wanted to buy her lunch, but she passed away uh-huh. before I could even do that. So yeah. that was uh, one of the things that uh, that's how life was uh-huh. with me and my mom, you know. So,
0: so what was life like growing up in in the household?
1: Um, my mom didn't really work that much. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't start working until I was. T- t- say she didn't start working really so i was in middle school mm-hmm. so it was mainly my dad that was the main provider yeah so that's how it was in the how it was in the household but even then i felt like all of our all of us as siblings we kind of had to stick together and stay close together so it was it was it had his good times and his bad times i can say that for sure
0: mm. so how many siblings are in the household
1: it was seven of us at that time. It was when we were staying at a two bedroom apartment. It was about seven of us.
0: A two bedroom apartment, seven people.
1: Yeah, that's a lot, right? How? <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> I bet no, I, I did not like it. I love when I have I can I have my own room. I love it. Yeah. But um I didn't like it. It was I mean we, we it was just we were already we were always arguing as siblings. Mm-hmm. I mean, we looked out for each other. But at the same time, you know, even as a kid, I knew that life had to be better than what what I was experiencing. So, like I said, it was it was okay. I mean, but at the same time, I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. We got creative and played games with each other all the time, and we got in trouble with each other all the time. But hey, you know.
0: So what's the what was the living arrangement like? So you got two bedrooms. I'm sure your parents have a bedroom to themselves, right? And then there's. Seven kids or seven y'all in one house? It's seven. Seven kids. Yeah, it was seven of us. It's seven of us in ours, know, Yeah. So seven, including your parents or seven kids? Seven kids. So there's nine people living in a two bedroom apartment. Right. God, man. Yeah, it was crazy, so man. So wh- what's the, like, where are you sleeping at?
1: Where, are you, cause I'm in, where, where do you fall in all of this? I mean, I don't even know how we did. <laughs> we had a bump bed. So, all of us were sleeping like at the top at the bottom. I think there was times where I was sleeping on the floor, but that's how it worked like I don't we just kinda we just kinda made it work. I mean we had to i mean we were kids, so we just kinda had to make work with what we had but mm-hmm. I mean, eventually things got a little bit better for us once my mom started working, and we moved into a bigger house, mm-hmm. and there was more space, but it was still. I mean, seven people staying in one bedroom like that wasn't a move, no. So they are all in the one bedroom, so you get the
0: full size bunk bed, but, but <laughs> and then at the top is a twin, right? Yeah. Or you yeah. had a full size the top? No, it was twin.
1: I think it was. I think it was a twin. Because I, I know really the remember. bunk bed.
0: They typically, they like slant from the bottom. Like it's a full size to the bottom. The bunk bed that I had was a full at the bottom. And a twin at the top.
1: And I think that's how it was for us, too. I think the, the the bottom was the full. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, the bottom was the full, and it was a twin at the top. And yeah. I think I had a baby. My baby, well, she was a baby at the time, my sister. She was sleeping with my parents, Okay. I think most of the time. So maybe, say, six of us. But that's had, still tight, though. Half the time, my oldest brother and oldest sister, they were never there. And I'm pretty sure that's why they weren't there. Yeah, They yeah, were probably yeah. somewhere at their friend's house. So Got gotcha, you. Got gotcha.
0: you. Now, where are you originally from?
1: I'm a, I'm from Atlanta. Really? Yeah, originally born in Atlanta. Um Where are you born at? What hospital? Grady. I'm from <laughs> <I'm, I'm> Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Grady, man. From Grady? Yeah, from Grady. Got gotcha. you. I grew up, well to be more specific I grew up on the west side of Atlanta. Okay. Yeah, I don't really like talk about like the west end area. It. No, like west side like Bankhead. Oh. Yeah. I just don't really I don't really say it much, but why not? I don't know, just because I don't know cuz people put too much hype to it. I don't know. So there's so the hype of
0: Bankhead ain't what everybody. No, no I'm it, sure
1: it is. It is. It's crazy for sure, but I mean I don't know. I just I feel like they they say it with so much pride. And I don't know. I guess it's like they they boast about, like, oh, I'm from this hood. I'm like, I mean, okay, whatever. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's just a normal. I mean, it's a hood, but I don't know. I mean, if people ask, I'll tell them. But I just don't go around saying I'm from the hood. It's not something that you want to embody as an individual. Right. Like, that's just not who I am as a person. But if people ask me, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, say it. So. Gotcha. So, seven kids, one of seven,
0: mom and dad there, what's your relationship like with your dad? I know you say you, your mom's a like good
1: best friend, but what's the relationship like with dad? so my dad was um my dad was like I said, he was there, mm-hmm. but there were times and moments where he wasn't staying with us, and you know he would just he would make sure that things were taken care of financially, but I just feel like. He wasn't there physically enough for us to kind of build like a strong bond, and it wasn't until my mother passed that we got a little bit close. Like we just celebrated Father's Day together, mm-hmm. so we I I I would never say like he wasn't there or or he's a dad. Be like he definitely wasn't that. I just I just don't think like we we just ever we just ever built like a really strong relationship with one another because mm-hmm. there were times where. He just wasn't staying with us, and it was just my mom. So that left that time an opportunity for me to be under my mom a lot more than it was for my for me to be under my dad, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Got you. So
0: what were some of the reasons, like, dad wasn't fully present?
1: Um, I feel like he maybe wasn't there because, I mean, he he had us when we were young. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean— I think my oldest sister is like 35, 36. So they had to be in their early 20s, you know, and I'm pretty sure, you know, it was probably because he was young and I'm he was out. To yeah, to figure out fatherhood. And yeah. He himself. So I figured, I, I, I believe, you know, that's why we just didn't really click that well. You know, he had me at a young age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's probably why, more than likely. Gotcha. And you say you just celebrated Father's Day with your dad. Mm-hmm. What was that like? It was good, man. You know, we all got together as a family and we took my dad out for Father's Day, you know, and I enjoy the conversations that I have with him. You know, I used to have a lot of revenge towards him Mm -hmm. and I used to be very angry, but I eventually forgave him because I said, what justice does that do? You know, I only have one parent left, so I might as well, you know, make the best of it. Mm -hmm. And he's not like oh, I don't want to talk to you or anything. We have conversations. And, you know, Father's Day was just, it was a good experience, you know. Yeah.
0: So what is it like, you know, now that you all have built this relationship back up and it's to a place to your liking? You yeah, say? yeah, yeah, to my liking. So no, liking. I do say that. What does it feel like now versus as a
1: child? Um, what does it feel like now versus as a child? It feels different <laughs> because I don't. I really – I look up to him as a father and as an example, but now it's like I guess I don't have to ask him for necessarily anything or want for anything because, I mean, the things that I want, I just go out and I just go work for it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like it's a little different now. You know, I'm not afraid to talk to him about certain things or ask him advice on certain things if I do decide to ask him for advice. You know, so Mm – It's I feel more i feel actually I feel a lot more comfortable around him now because we have conversations and I see him a lot and at one point in the time when I was an adult when i got when I came back from college, I actually stayed with him for about two years before I moved out and got my own spot, gotcha. so we were even able to get a little bit closer then mm-hmm. so
0: so after um you guys gotten closer what's have you ever asked him like any quite like those tough questions that you like? You oh, always yeah. like been scared to ask, but it's like <laughs> right. I don't know how to ask you. I don't know if I asked this question, what would it uh, what would it bring about? Like, how was that conversation?
1: Mm, yeah, I've asked him some tough questions. You know, after my mom passed, you know, I started asking questions like, you know, why weren't you there? You know, as much as I would have liked to have seen you, and you know why did this happen with my with mom and why did you go out and do this and that you know Mm -hmm. and a lot of the a lot of a lot of the answers he was saying because he was young and he was just trying to basically figure figure out fatherhood so Mm -hmm. i definitely had those tough conversations with him at 20 years, about, I was born about, about nineteen twenty, mm-hmm. probably like 21. Because you're how old now? I'm 27 now. Okay. Yeah, so, and I remember uh, my brother was like, dang, man, you asked those questions? I was like, yeah, <laughs> I want to know. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious to know. So, uh-huh. yeah, I definitely had those tough conversations with me. It needed to be had. Yeah. Because I had a lot of resentment towards him. Mm-hmm. So. And having this
0: conversation, did you, like, what was the healing
1: that you experienced? Man, there was a lot of healing in it because the fact that I know the truth now and I was able to hear it from him, it made me feel better as an individual and it allowed me to want to get more closer to him. I needed that closure because I've always had all these questions in my head, but it was no answers, and when I would ask my mom, she used to get very upset, like angry, like she did not want to talk about it. Mm. she didn't want to have anything to deal with it, so you know, having that conversation with him, you know he was pretty pretty straightforward with the questions that I asked him, so mm-hmm. it was a lot of healing that took place oh, that's good man but good stuff,
0: good, good, good <coughs> now that you you're an adult now, right, and you're carrying your own throne, and making your own throne, should I say,
1: what do you do with your life now? So right now, I'm currently engaged. Congratulations. Um, so I've been engaged for about three months, and she is absolutely amazing. So right now, uh, she she's the one that actually inspired me to go back to school. Word, okay. To get my education, yeah, because I at first I, I didn't want to continue. So she encouraged me to go back and finish that undergrad, and now I'm working on building my speaking business and really diving into contracting with like different schools, different organizations and just really trying to get myself out there even more, you know. So that's that's where I stand right now in life pretty much.
0: Uh, that's dope. So when it comes to going back what are you going back to school for?
1: Uh so education psychology, to be a school psychologist. Now, what does it take to become a educational psychologist? Um, so to be a school psychologist, you have to first get the undergrad as um in education psychology, mm-hmm. and then you have to go back and get your masters. And I you, and then throughout your masters, I think I've done some research like you do like certain internships and different things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh that's what it requires to be a school psychologist pretty much in a nutshell.
0: Gotcha. And as a black male, what's the importance of having a black male school psychologist in the system?
1: Man, I think it's so important, man. You know, it's right now education is 2% of teachers. I can only imagine what that number would look like for school psychologists. I don't even want to know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's important, man, because school psychologists, they provide not just mental support but they provide behavior Mm -hmm. support in the school system and they're able to help these students that's dealing with a lot of trauma now school psychologists doesn't just deal with mental the mental aspect and the behavior aspect but they also test do a lot of testing and data but they play a good instrument in the school because if they're utilized to help the kids with a lot of trauma that can increase the students to do well better academically mm-hmm. if they know that somebody cares about them. You know, so right, right. I think a school psychologist, man, in the school system is very, very important.
0: Now did you always want to be a suit uh No suit man, other?
1: this is just this was very recent. Really? I wanted to step into the uh the mental the mental aspect of things. Yeah, very recent. So like a month you, recent.
0: What made you trans- transition?
1: Well, the biggest thing was, you know, being in my elementary i was in my elementary ed program i realized how academic like it's very academic driven Mm -hmm. right so you're teaching the students i mean on elementary level you're five core math science social studies reading language arts and i did a little internship at the school and i realized that i want to work with kids more on that character development emotional side like i really want to know What's going on with you? Why Why aren't you, you know, performing well? What's What's some trauma that you're dealing with? I want to be there to help in that aspect, and teachers do help in that aspect, but the mass majority of the time they're spending time helping them academically and mm-hmm. to prepare them for a test. But you do help them emotionally, but that's not That's not the main objective. The main objective is to get them prepared to take a test. Gotcha. You know, and that's just like Like I said, academics. I do care about it, but it just, do, it doesn't excite me as much, you know, as to work with kids emotionally and mentally, mm-hmm. so. Do you feel like you've got, like, a better connection with a school psychologist versus,
0: you know, an actual profession? Because, like, what you've experienced as a child in the educational level, and maybe had you had worked maybe more hands-on with a school psychologist, you feel like, you know, you could have thrived a little bit more and elementary and middle and stuff like that
1: yeah i definitely do feel like that i feel like if i had the emotional support on how to deal with some of the trauma that i was dealing with Mm -hmm. i do feel like i would have been better equipped to be successful academically because i mean i i can just recall growing up i mean you kind of had to suppress your feelings i mean you know the saying is Black men don't cry. I used to hear that all the time. Like, you're not supposed to express your feelings. You're mm-hmm. not really supposed to express your emotions. You're just supposed to suppress them as if they don't even matter. Right. And that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I didn't really talk about my feelings and emotions like that. But had I had that support system, you know, I felt like I would've been a lot better academically. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. So,
0: so now that you've learned, so would you say you've learned to actually express yourself better now?
1: Oh yeah, I still have my struggles. Mm. I've realized that in my in my relationship, but I will say I've gotten way way better. Mm. Like I I mean, sometimes I I I break down and I cry, you know, and when I do cry, I'm not ashamed. Like if I'm crying to, to a close friend or if I get emotional about it, I don't I don't shy away from crying because I mean, it's okay to cry. You know, it's nothing wrong with that. So yeah i think i got i've gotten a lot better in that in that aspect what's your takes on therapy say it again what are your takes on therapy oh man i'm a huge advocate for therapy man you know i've always heard you know and i used to hear the saying that what goes on in this house stays in this Mm -hmm. house and that is to me in my personal opinion i think that's very toxic um i'm a bit advocate man for therapy because We deal with a lot of trauma and it's a lot of unhealed trauma that people are dealing with and they may not feel comfortable to talk to their friends or their family, but therapy, they'll be able to walk you through the healing process. Like last year was my first time seeing a therapist and man, I cried in my first session and it was like, yo, like, man. I love therapy. Like mm-hmm. it's hard, don't get me wrong, because you have to talk about your emotions and your feelings and you have to get vulnerable yeah. and transparent so that so that it can actually work, you know? But man, it's so helpful because I feel like we all need. We all need therapy, man. Nobody's mm-hmm. perfect. And sometimes therapists they can point out issues before they even arise. They might You know, and I'm like, wow, like that's pretty deep. Yeah. So I'm like, man, like, I'm all for therapy, man. It's worth the investment.
0: What would you say to any black man who
1: is not pro therapy? For therapy. That's a good question. I say if they're not for therapy, they at minimum, they need to at least have somebody that they can talk to, invent to, and express their emotions to. Because just keeping those emotions inside, man, keeping those feelings inside is not healthy. And I don't know, like, if, you know, I know a lot of men, they tend to, when it comes to their emotions, they usually use sex. I don't know if they're using that as a void when they sleep with different women or if if alcohol, you know, or if it's weed or if it's drugs or whatever the case may be to fill that void. But I feel like running away from expressing your emotions and feelings is not the solution. Mm-hmm. I think we're naturally born to get those emotions and feelings out. So, I say, man, I say they need to, <laughs> they need to get with it. <laughs> they need to get with it because it's it's the move, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Man, this is a very enlightening conversation, bro. Yeah, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate you too. Thank yeah, you, I man. Yeah, man. Um... I'm gonna do a quick commercial real quick. Okay. And then I want you to close us out with a word of wisdom, word of power, and uh let people know where they can find you and all how they can connect with you and all that good jazz. All right. Okay, cool, cool. Cool. This episode is sponsored by the Embolden Institute. It's a space where I send out daily messages, messages of hope, encouragement, and affirmation. If you are somebody who's looking for you know daily hope, if you're looking for daily affirmations, text me 404-476-6780. That's 404 404-476. 476 Six seven eight zero. You can text me the word heal to that number, or text me the word affirmation, and we will get you locked in. You will see for message daily, every day, on the dot, ten a.m. EST, on the dot, every day, three hundred sixty-five days a week. We do not take any days off. We don't. We're not stopping this thing because we are very purpose-driven when it comes to people being affirmed, and we're purpose-driven when it comes to people healing, and we want to be. The catalyst to help you begin your healing journey. So text me four zero four four seven six six seven eight zero. Dre closes out, my good brother.
1: Um, with a few words of encouragement, I want to say, if you have a dream and you have a goal, it does not matter how long it takes. If it takes ten years, twenty years, thirty years. Man, hold tight to that dream because eventually it will come into fruition. You guys can find me at the Schoolhouse Podcast on Instagram, and for my YouTube, you can just look under the Schoolhouse Podcast, and that's how you can find me. Alright, word, word,
0: word. My brother, we appreciate you, man. It's another episode. We are out. Peace.